Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusuf. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by ScriptRunner. If you already use or want to use PowerShell to manage Microsoft Exchange, check out their free Microsoft Exchange PowerShell guide. That's five pages full of ready-to-use PowerShell snippets and real-life examples. The link is in the show notes. My name is Tobias. I'm back again with Yussi. What's up? Hey, Toby. Yesterday, I went to the gym, and, and I've been doing that about three times each week for a couple of years now. Uh, but but yesterday, I figured, let's try something new. And and uh, I'm not sure if this is, this is a secret performance tip, but I, I went to the store to buy something called the pre-workout and and it's 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 a powder that you mix with water and it can really be anything usually the powder has a mix of caffeine sugar some energy boosting stimulants and lots of protein and you take one scoop mix that with water about 30 minutes before you hit the gym and the promise at at, at least on the packaging says that this will help you and uh, that was the first time and i really felt i could rip off the doors from the frames when i got to the gym so i figured yeah this is good stuff and i might be using that in the future as well did you also get, get all hyped up so you were running around the gym screaming let's do it let's time. <laughs> i was i was hoping for that sort of a side effect but you you sort of get caffeine in in a more condensed form and then you get a lot of energy. So after you, you, you're done with the warm up, you really feel, okay, I'm, I'm really sort of tuned in to what I'm planning on achieving today. And I normally am, but this is like the extra 10%. And I figured, well, there's nothing bad in the powder in it, even though it's, it's quite artificial. So I will be trying this for a couple of times. And let's see, let's see if, if the effect will arrive the next time as well. <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, interesting. I'd love to hear more how that goes. So on my side, what I did is also some kind of exercise. I suppose I tried some tried something called bouldering. I think that's the name. And I, I know you're slightly familiar with this as well. So it's like climbing indoors on a big wall with color-coded things and like finding your path and like rock climbing. So we went to this rock climbing center. So a friend brought me there. It was a really great exercise. I was perhaps not prepared for the amount of endurance and strength required for you know maybe more technique to be honest because in in the past i did a lot of martial arts judo kickboxing wushu kung fu stuff like that and but in the last 10 years perhaps i spent more with uh, time with road biking and that in combination with that generally healthy living with a lot of excursions and hiking and and long trips and stuff like that so i perhaps have not used the kind of muscles that are required for this kind of bouldering exercises or rock climbing. My main takeaway from going to a climbing center was that I immediately got this sense of the, like the traditional teamship that you have in a sports club. So if you do soccer, martial arts, tennis, you name it, you get this kind of teamship with your comrades um, in the club. So that was an awesome experience. Um, and you get to use both your brain and your body uh, in order to endure and succeed. Because in, initially I thought, well, there's a bunch of things on the wall. You're supposed to just climb it, right? 
But then I, I figured and learned that there are so many different types of tracks and difficulty levels that depending on where you go, you have to really think ahead. So if you put this hand here and this foot there, or if you do like this or the other way around, then you have to think three steps ahead in order to be able to make that climb because it's a tricky one. But that's also kind of what I liked about it, not just the raw strength or technique of, of climbing, but you have to mix in your brain and you have to actively think, how can I figure this out? So that was actually a, a really nice kind of mindful exercise in a way that you get the, the strength, the workout, but you also kind of tune your brain a bit, like how can I find the optimal path and how can I make this happen? Um, so I will definitely go there again to try that out. Um, I think I did pretty well, but of course, not even close to some of the pros. There was a lot of people in there. You know, when I say pro, I mean all the amateurs in the building who are better than me, which is pretty much everyone at that point. And some of them climbed like Spider-Man. It was, you, you saw, I don't know, 10 meters up in the air, pretty high, uh, a wall without ropes, and they're just running up. It's ridiculous. So that was like, if you haven't tried this, or if you don't know what it is, at least check it out. If you're into some kind of sports or, or you know, some other types of activities in your spare time, which does not involve sitting at the computer, then I would definitely recommend taking a look at that. But I know you're also a, a bit familiar with bouldering and climbing, right? Yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been doing that uh, in the past life for about 15 years. And, and one warm memory I have of bouldering, I think this was during an MVP summit, maybe 2014, 2015 in, in, in Bellevue and Redmond. And I had my climbing gear with me and I figured, well, I have an evening of nothing planned. So let me find a climbing hall, a climbing center. And, and I used, used Google, not Bing, to find one. I, I took a taxi there. I don't think Uber existed at the time. I took a taxi there. I did two hours. It was awesome. I exit the, the climbing center. It's pitch black. It's about 9 p.m. I'm in the middle of this industrial area. I still don't know where I was at the time. No taxis, no cell phone coverage. And I figured, well, perhaps the city is that way. And I think I walked about an hour or two to, to, to get back to civilization. And later on, I figured, yeah, this is fun, but uh, per perhaps a good idea to rent a car and be self-sufficient. Because oftentimes the climbing centers, the, and if you go outdoors, they're all remote. And you always need a car or a bicycle to, to actually get to the places. But it's, it's a lot of fun. Alrighty, so today, this is episode 131, Azure Updates. It's, it's been, I think, four or six weeks since we last did an Azure Update. And, and the main reason has been that there hasn't been too many updates worth mentioning. Uh, but now we have plenty of updates. Um, perhaps I'll start with just something small. To, to get us focused on, on, on the topics. And, and then, Toby, let's go to yours, because I know you have a lot of really interesting ones as well. So, so the first one on my list, this is a public preview. Uh, schedule automated emails of your saved cost views. A super simple feature. So when you go to Azure Cost Management, you can schedule emails on a daily, weekly, or monthly uh, recurrence on whatever cost view you've built manually. So typically you would perhaps use the tabbed feature in cost management to, to have custom filters, custom settings in place. And when it's just so that you like it, you can then 
schedule this this automated email perhaps email me weekly on on a snapshot of what i'm seeing here tiny feature but i feel it's quite useful especially for customers who do not live inside azure they do other things like real work but now they just need to know on a weekly basis how are things going so that's the first one on my list what do you have so i i have really two things i want to talk about but these two things have multiple updates so the, the first one is Azure Container Apps. And I know we touched on this topic a few times in the past. Uh, it's now been um, in the wild for quite some time. And I see organizations that often use it. Um, so there's one update here or a, a few updates here that's relevant if you're a developer and you work with Azure Container Apps. So Visual Studio now has support for Azure Container Apps. So that means you can use Visual Studio 2022 Preview 2 or anything later, which now has support to publish .NET Core applications to Azure Container Apps. So directly from Visual Studio 22 uh, Preview 2, you can then publish your .NET Core applications to ACA or Azure Container Apps. So that's pretty cool. Um, you know, myself, I live in Visual Studio quite a lot. I use Visual Studio Code for a lot of things as well. Uh, and uh, that's also a, a good point here that the Visual Studio Code extension is now also available in public preview for the Azure Container Apps. So with this kind of initial release of the Container Apps Visual Studio Code extension, you can deploy apps from a container image and manage them directly from Visual Studio Code. So whether you live in Visual Studio Enterprise or the full-blown Visual Studio, or if you're more keen on using Visual Studio Code, you now have options and dev tools to use to work with Azure Container Apps. So I think that's a pretty significant update because I, I know I, I spent some time talking with organizations and individuals who are you know, moving their workloads from maybe Azure Container Instances or Kubernetes or something else to Azure Container Apps for whatever reason. Um, and in doing so, they now have support for better tooling, whether you're in Visual Studio Code or Visual Studio um, traditional. The other thing I also want to brush on uh, with Azure Container Apps is uh, managed identities are now also supported. That's also in public preview. So Azure Container Apps now supports the managed identities. Um, and when enabled, your container apps can then connect to uh, supported services without using secrets. And we talked about this many times, like managed identities and the benefits and why and when you can use them. In this case, both system and user-assigned managed identities are supported in public preview. But again, as of this recording, it's in a preview. I would recommend you perhaps wait until the RGA before you go into production for a lot of reasons. Um, but this is also very happy news. If you're a developer and you hit F5, you can use the identity that you're currently signed into Visual Studio or, or Visual Studio Code with, for example, or if you have now deployed this into your production or, or QA or staging or dev clusters, you have the option then to connect a managed identity and allow Azure Container Apps to access different services like the Azure Key Vault or an Azure storage account or whatever it is using that identity. So that's a, a really great benefit. So that was kind of a big package update around Azure Container Apps and that I hope a lot of, uh, a lot of you will uh, take a look at. And I know some people I already spoke with are already diving into these things. So I'm actually just excited to see what the result of this will be to see hopefully in the coming year now, in the rest of this year, we'll see maybe some showcases and how people use Azure Container Apps. Because so far we've heard a lot of uh, use cases and a lot of 
um, kind of nice to do within Azure Container Apps, but so far I haven't seen a lot of production deployments, uh, but because it's so new, that makes sense. So hopefully now as people kind of gradually move to Azure Container Apps or start embracing that, um, we'll hear some success stories from the field uh, from that side as well. Right on the moment when you mentioned that Visual Studio now has support for Azure Container Apps, I muted myself, um, fired up Visual Studio 2022, hit check updates to see if I have the update. And I did, it started downloading, but then I realized that, well, we are recording this at the same time, so I didn't want to destroy my bandwidth by downloading that. So I hit pause because there's a, there's a button called pause. It crashed the whole Visual Studio and it's, it's not starting anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I think I'm getting the update later on then. On my list, um, let, me, let me pick something that I feel is, is actually quite interesting, but at the same time, this is possibly something that's not relevant to too many in the audience. So five Azure classic networking services will be retired end of August 2024. So Azure Classic will be fully retired by end of August 2024 as well. And, and since those are mutually related, these five networking services from the classic side will retire on the same date. And I was under the assumption that when Azure Classic is no more, that everything that has the name Classic in it will be no more. But apparently these five networking services were initially sort of designed to, to be available even after Azure Classic is gone, but they will be good toast as well. So these are classic application gateway, classic virtual network, classic reserved IP addresses, classic express route gateway, and classic VPN gateway. And the last one is something that I still see quite a bit, because often you built your site-to-site -site VPN or point-to-site VPNs five or seven or nine years ago with classic and those will be gone. So you really need to rebuild the VPN deployments as well. But, but concerning Azure Classic, not just the networking services that will be gone as well. Toby, are you still running anything in Azure Classic? You know, it's a, it's a funny question because when you now said and talked about this update, uh, I was thinking about that and, and I do actually operate uh, one Classic and that's one of those old web roles. Um, I think you call them and yep. we haven't deployed to it for four years, I think. It's still running every day. There is production workloads hitting this thing. So, you know, some of our endpoints are running in an old, is it, is it web worker or web role or, you know, I can't even recall the names of, of these things. Uh, so that is a classic deployment. <clears throat> and that now sits isolated in its own subscription uh, because it cannot be migrated, it cannot be moved, right? So we moved everything to other, uh, subscriptions recently or in the last couple of years, that's the only thing that is not possible to move. So you cannot move that to, to the new subscription. All the other resources are ARM-based and because they are using the Azure uh, Resource Manager in that sense, uh, they're easy to move between research groups, between subscriptions and stuff like that. Um, the classic resource, not so much. So I'm happy that we only have this one uh, single resource. And I know that because I've done... Uh, quite a few of inventories of of all the landscape we have, the the entire Azure subscription landscape that we have and stuff like that. So it's still hanging over us a little bit like we, we need to get this thing moved. But at the same time, it's not a critical production workload. 
So if it sits there until the end of time, that's okay. It will not take a lot of effort to move it. There has just been, well, a lot different priorities going on, which I think is the case for a lot of organizations who still sit <laughs> with their classic resources, to be honest. So, so perhaps a pro tip here, uh, put a note in your calendar for 29th of August, 2024, migrate the classic service. This gives you two days. I hope it's going to be a Friday because it gives you a long weekend to work on that. Perhaps I will go one more on my list uh, because this is a fairly quick one. And this was widely announced already, I think about three weeks ago. Uh, in development, a new planned data center region in Finland called Finland Central. So, Toby, I know you have Sweden Central and Sweden South, I think. And they I are. I think we will get Sweden South. I don't think that's open yet, um, as far as I know. Be, yeah, Sweden Central is open, though, and, and you can actually run production workloads in there, but it's very limited in, in terms of what services you can, you can deploy there. So finally, we are getting the data center region here in Finland as well. And the announcement obviously was a, was a big, big thing over here. Uh, but there's no commitment on the exact timeline on when that's going to be available. I, I did some hashing out, figuring out well the local zoning and, and building and permits and, and whatnot, that it will be about two years, 2.5 years before we actually see something light up in, in Azure and Microsoft 365 and Power Platform for that one. It's great news, but let's see two years from now, I hope we are still doing the show. So that will probably be episode 290 or so, then we will do a special episode. So here's the data center, we are knocking on the door, nobody's opening. So this new data center, is that actually your home lab, your home office <laughs> that they just plug in? So you, you lend a cable over to them and, and when I deploy to uh, Finland Central, I will actually be in your data center. I'm, I'm a bit disappointed and nobody even asked me. So, so <laughs> I will run my own own on-premises deployment. And hopefully when, when this one, the actual one comes available in Finland, uh, I will definitely use that for a number of workloads especially Azure Virtual Desktop because of, of the low latency. But I've been thinking quite a bit with customers that let's imagine in 2024, so around the same time you're migrating away from the Azure Classic, 2024, we'd have the data center already here in Finland. Would we migrate everything from West Europe and North Europe? Probably not, because a lot of the services you cannot move or migrate and the rest is, is just as good in West Europe as it would be in the, in the closer one. But everything new, you would then start deploying to the, to the closest one. I think it also comes down to like what kind of application are you running, but also what kind of organization do you live in and, and what kind of technology do you have in the cloud and what kind of data. So the data sovereignty and all these things come into play. But that's a, a different story altogether. And Maybe we can do an episode on that because I have a lot of thoughts on that and, and a lot of recent experience with the data sovereignty and, and legal aspects of having your data in different clouds. But I think that's for a different show. So the next update on my side is about Azure Monitor. And one, th one thing that I noticed, which I really like, is that uh, this AMA or the Azure Monitoring Agent uh, now supports custom and IAS logs. And this is in preview. 
So the Azure Monitoring Agent, that's the uh, native way to kind of collect log files from log for log analytics. So you can kind of push things to log analytics. Um, and with the new custom and IIS log capability, this is designed for you to kind of collect text-based logs and that is generated in your service or application. And similarly, IIS logs that provide internet access for your service can then be collected and transferred into a log analytics work workspace, which then goes into a specific table for further analysis and if you want to drill down on that data. So imagine you have a bunch of IIS servers and they're connected to the internet, and then you have a bunch of IIS logs. And if you've ever operated that in production, you know that drilling down into IIS logs perhaps not the most fun experience you have and you have multiple logs in different locations and of course things are a bit more modern now so there are many different ways and processes and tools to consolidate that what i like about this is you can connect this agent to your iis and collect those logs automatically push them to log analytics into that workspace then you can just use everything you already know in your you know in your team use the tools you have in azure to query language, to make queries, to drill down, filter, group, summarize, visualize, uh, pin it to dashboards, all these things, put it into a workbook if you want. So like really taking the logs into log analytics will give you so much more power. Uh, at least that's my experience because then I have the tools to query, to visualize, to build my kind of workbooks and dashboards, uh, to set up my alerts whenever something specific happens. Um, and this is a lot more difficult if you just have the raw logs. And even if you have a great log reader or log uh, kind of consolidate tool that will open all the IIS logs you have and then show them to you and maybe you can filter inside of them or whatever, having everything in a single place is super convenient. But also the fact that, at least in my case, if I have this now in log analytics workspace, that means I can also cross-query to other log analytics workspaces to get other similar data. So maybe I have a few IIS deployments in one location, a few in another location, and I want to pull that data up and kind of make a cross-region query or cross-deployment query, then I can do that because I just use the built-in tools. Um, so the update here, it's super simple. Again, to repeat, just, it's a public preview of Azure Monitoring Agent with support for custom and IIS logs. So it's super simple, but I mean, the use cases I see for this is endless. So I wanted to share that because I know... I've spoken to people who also tune into this show occasionally, at least. Um, they're using IIS to date. Um, and I think this is a, a modern way to handle logs if you're still using IIS for whatever reason. Sounds good. I I need to check if my Azure monitoring agents, if they're automatically updating or not these days. I, I hope they're automatically updating and getting these new capabilities as well. Next on my list, this is now generally available. And I realize I've seen this in preview, but I never got around to actually testing this. So bring your own IP ranges to Azure. Super interesting because a lot of organizations, they already own and operate IP ranges. They have their own IP subnets. And when they migrate workloads to the cloud, they might want to retain and reuse those same IP ranges in the cloud as well. And this is now possible to onboard as a regional custom IP prefix resource. So actually, if you go to Azure portal and you search for custom IP prefix resource, you will find this capability. 
I had a look at the docs on, on what you actually need to do here. So obviously you must own that IP range and, and the proof of ownership is done through a route origin authorization document. And this is done through uh, RIPE or ARIN, depending on, on where in the world you are. And, and once you fill out that document, you generate a custom certification, sign that, and, and provide an ownership of proof to Microsoft. And once that completes, once the paperwork is done, then you can start allocating those IP addresses in your Azure subscription. The minimum size is a class C network, so slash 24, and it only supports IPv4. No express route advertisement is, is supported, so you cannot uh, send signals about those IP ranges through your express route resources. But the whole feature is free. It doesn't cost you anything. So you need to bring your own IP to the cloud. You can use this one. You do a bit of paperwork, it works, and you can continue using those. It's, it's a nice niche feature, but I think this should have been available five years ago. And now we more or less just accepted the fact that, well, we use whatever is in the cloud. But for major organizations, I feel this is something they've been asking for. Yeah, I, I think I heard someone talk about this a while ago uh, where they, they were looking forward to seeing you know, bringing their own IP ranges to to all the clouds that they have, and I couldn't for the for the life of me understand why you would ever want to do that. But then they kind of elaborated on their enterprise grade uh, use cases, and then it makes perfect sense. Um, so I think this is a actually a great update. Um, the next thing on my side is again related to Azure Monitor. This is um, another preview, public preview feature, and that is Azure Monitor and Azure Managed Grafana integration. So Grafana, I don't know if, if anyone is using that. That's like uh, operational dashboards for your data. And I think their, um, their tagline is something like operational dashboards for your data here, there, or anywhere, uh, which is kind of the point here that what they provide is the dashboard capabilities and uses, usage insights, reports, alerts, plugins, governance, metrics, logs, traces, like all these kind of things. And then you can plug that in in this case, too, if, if you now have the, how do you call it, the managed edition of Grafana, the Azure managed Grafana, then you can now view your Azure monitoring data in a Grafana dashboard with just a few simple clicks. So you can pin visualizations from Azure Monitor to Grafana dashboard. You can combine insights from multiple resources into a single dashboard for a greater overview. Uh, you can make use of the out-of-the-box Grafana dashboards and a lot more. So now there's this kind of native or easier integration between Azure Monitor and Azure Managed Grafana. And I know a lot of organizations use this. I have come across so many people I talk with that either I have community calls with or in one of our um, kind of round table or, or inner circles of technology advisor uh, boards that we do regularly. This comes up a lot. And I always talk in these calls about Azure Monitor because I use that a lot and I share my experiences with using it and you know the pitfalls and the benefits and you know some recommendations for how, how they might be able to use it. And then similarly, um, a few organizations and individuals showed how they use uh, Grafana. 
but not the Azure managed Grafana because that is now then in public preview, but uh, or or this integration is in public preview. So to anyone tuning in who is using Grafana, take a look at that. That might be beneficial. I really enjoy this. Uh, and what I also like about that is it might also save a bit on cost because now you can control the cost. You don't have the external Grafana service if you use Azure managed Grafana. But it's also from a security standpoint and compliance, like data sovereignty, coming back to the point that I come back to a lot with compliance, data sovereignty, where's your data, like data residency, where's your data located, where does your data travel and flow? If you have an external Grafana service and you send sensitive data out, then that may or may not be breaking your compliance. Uh, but if you deploy Azure managed Grafana and you control the region where this ends up and you control the security and perimeter around that data, then all of a sudden that changes the game a bit, which again gives me an idea for a future episode. We should talk about Azure managed Grafana and then everything around it. And we don't have time to do that or dive deeper into that in, in this episode, of course. But uh, if anyone is tuning in and you want to hear about that, then please reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, you can find our details on controlaltazure.com or just reach out if you know our handles. Uh, would love to get input about what you want to hear next as well. Uh, but I think this is something that a lot of people want to hear. So to repeat, the public preview feature of Azure Monitor and Azure Managed Grafana integration is now there. So you can go try that out in your Azure subscriptions today. I gave the Azure Managed Grafana capability a spin last night. I, I, I think I got the uh, the four-year-old to bed quite early and I figured, well, I have an extra 30 minutes, so I will spend that on something fun. And it's it's a nice managed service for sure. And the integration with Azure Monitor, it's it's seamless. I'm I'm not a Grafana expert. I'm I'm more on the Power BI side when I when I need to do reports, but I, I do see the value in that. Uh, I, I think we need to work a bit on the Grafana and then definitely do an episode on 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 the ups and downs on that one. Next for my list, this is a short one, uh, a quick update, the Azure AD graph retirement dates. I, I think this is sort of following the same path we had with Windows XP back in the days. It's going to retire next year. No, the next year. No, five years from now. <laughs> and now, now with Azure AD graph, uh, it will not retire end of June 2022. I think too many people complain that, well, we have a massive amount of scripts and workloads utilizing this. So please have parity with those capabilities in Microsoft Graph so that we can migrate and test and then retire the Azure AD Graph. So no new dates have been announced beyond that a new date will be announced before end of year 2022. So I don't think I have anything utilizing Azure AD Graph any longer. But I, I, I feel many people will now have at least an extra six months to work on figuring out how to migrate away. Yeah, I, I like this update because uh, I, I know companies that are still on uh, the Azure AD graph uh, for whatever reason. Again, it's time constraints, resources, uh, legacy applications that were built and the, you don't have the knowledge in-house anymore and you don't want to touch them or you don't have the, the knowledge or experience to touch them. Um, or, you know, sometimes the endeavor to kind of migrate is, is too big, so you don't actually win anything. And sometimes you just scrap the entire application because you don't see the, the benefit of migrating. 
So I, I know several organizations are still on Azure AD Graph. I love this update um, you know, for the fact that, like you say, move to Microsoft Graph. That's the, the goal here is to get everyone on Microsoft Graph, which makes sense. I love the Microsoft Graph. We use that for a lot of things. Um, and, and it's the only thing we use uh, between these two. We don't use Azure AD Graph uh, at all. At the same time, um, I always become a bit not hesitant, but like I, I think twice here when you get an update like this. Um, you know, as a customer, I also read it like, ah, great, I don't have to think about, about uh, the migration just yet. I will just wait for these dates to be announced. And then maybe the dates announced will be, well, in three months or in six months, this will happen with a fixed date. And then all of a sudden you kind of postponed it again because you know, oh, it's not going to happen uh, end of June 2022. Great. So I will have a lot more time. I will think about it later, kind of forget about it. And then we will be in the same situation. So I think I think the my takeaway here, start looking at this now. If you use Azure AD Graph, don't wait for the dates to be announced. You start looking at it and start seeing how you could migrate, if at all, and or if you should should sunset some applications using the the old way, uh, because they will be retired. These uh, this approach will stop working at some point, and it's better to be ahead of the game than to have to kind of fix everything with burning fires in hindsight. Very good update and very good reminder. Um, on my side, I have only one more thing uh, this week. I have a very long list of security updates that I would like to go through as well. I know we do not have time for that today. So in the next update show, I will try to uh, condense them down into the most tangible ones. The remaining update I have today is public preview, again with Azure Monitor, because there's a lot of things happening in this space. And this is a public preview feature of Activity Log Insights. So now you can configure your activity logs to export to a log analytics workspace. So you now how, know how you can see the activity logs. In Azure, you can see who did what, an administrator went and did something, or a user deleted or changed a resource, whatever it is. So these activity logs insights lets you view information about changes to resources and resource groups in your Azure subscription. And then you can see which admin deleted or created a resource or if the activities failed or succeeded or whatever. And it also comes with a built-in workbook named Activity Logs Insights, right? So that, you know, half the work or more than half the work is already done for us. Um, and the benefit of this is if you haven't used workbooks, I think we talked about this recently as well, that we should also do an episode on workbooks. And now I think we have three or four episode ideas uh, just at the end of, of uh, today's episode. Um, with a workbook, you can kind of design your own dashboards and queries and how things should work. You click things in, in one item or in one query and you get the result in the details query and, and things like that. Pretty cool. Here, there is now a built-in um, way to read uh, the activity logs insights using this workbook. And this way, you can kind of correlate activity log data with other monitoring data consolidate log entries, uh, entries across subscriptions and tenants. You can use the log queries for complex analysis to better understand your log queries. You can enable log alerts. Uh, you can keep data a lot longer than the default retention uh, that you have defined in your log retention for activity events. And as a bonus, there's no data ingestion charges for activity log data stored in my log analytics workspace. And additionally, no data retention charges for the first 90 days of activity uh, log data in log analytics workspaces. I think this is a pretty cool update. And again, you don't have to do any hard work to get this. 
You don't have to do any hard work to see this. Go to your activity logs and go to export and then send this to a log analytics workspace. Then when this data starts ingesting into that workspace, you just go there and you go to this built-in workbook. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to know any queries right now. You just go to this built-in workbook and say, I want to view this workbook named Activity Logs Insights. And voila, you will see all this data. And then, of course, you can start modifying it to fit your own needs. But I love this update. This is, again, another step in the right direction with monitoring and operations, ensuring that you really stay on top of the game to find anomalies, to find things that happen, and in this case, staying on top of whatever activities happen. And then you can kind of customize that and add your own queries and you know, race red flags if something suspicious happens or something that you don't want to happen does happen in your subscriptions. You can raise it there as well. Stuff like that. I love this. So if the four-year-old falls asleep early tonight, again, <laughs> this is something I will test. <laughs> uh, the last one on my list, this is also generally available. The new Azure front door. And I was a bit surprised when I when I read the announcement, I think that was last week, that there's a new version of Azure Front Door. It's the same as before, but it's a new service with the same name, but with sort of the same features. And, and it, it felt to me a bit of, of, of a marketing stunt that, hey, we have this service. Obviously, not enough people are, are using this, so perhaps we announced a new incarnation of the service, but it's still here. So there's a lot of updates on this one, but I, I felt, well, yeah, there's there's updates to an existing service, but the announcement really is a new Azure front door. So it's it's a bit more simplified in terms of cost, and there's better integration with Azure DNS and Key Vault and Azure Policy and Azure Advisor. And the rules engine that it's using, it's expanded now. It supports everybody's favorite regular expressions. And there's also private link support. So lots of things they've added. And, and I think this sort of justifies calling it the new Azure front door. And I, I think they did some, some work behind the covers to actually fix some legacy things or pull, pull legacy stuff out and put new stuff in. I don't really need to use this that often, but it's good to know that, well, it's more modern now, and perhaps it's, it's a bit more simpli simplified to set up and deploy. Uh, Toby, are you using the old Azure Front Door? Yeah. Uh, I mean, to me, Azure Front Door is such a new service uh, because when you operate things for multiple years, um, you know, anything that is a few years old is still fairly new in that sense. Um, yes, I do use Azure Front Door for some things, and I would love to use it for more things. And I have use cases for that, and just haven't had the, the kind of time and to implement those. Um, I really like it. I, I haven't taken a look at the new Azure Front Door or the updated or however you want to call this. Um, but I mean, the updates you mentioned and like this web application firewall enhancements and stuff like this is pretty good. Like any updates around security, anything that enhances your security posture is a good update. Um, I don't care about the name of the service. I don't care about the justification for it being there. If it's something that helps me increase my security posture, I'm interested. I'm going to take a look. So I'm, I'm definitely taking a look at this as well to evaluate, do we like migrate what we have to this? Or can you just do a one-click update? Or do you have to deploy a new, 
new front door or do you have to do something else? I don't know these details just yet. Um, so that's also something that will be interesting to learn. Like how do you get from the existing front door deployments you have to this? Um, is there a UI for that? Is there a tool for that? Or do you have to just set something new up and then kind of switch to DNS? Or yeah, I don't know how that works, but that's definitely something I will take a look at. One of the learnings I've I've sort of received in the past 10 years with Azure is that if, if there's a new incarnation of a service and it has anything to do with networks, then in order to get those new capabilities, you have to deploy something new and somehow migrate to that new one instead of the existing one just lighting up with something that, that works for you. So I haven't checked, but I will be sure to check this as well. All righty, those were all the updates. And the last bit we have is the unexpected question. Toby, do you have one? I do have a question for you. And actually, I, I have quite a few questions, but I there's <laughs> one that <laughs> I have a lot of unexpected questions lined up right now. Uh, there's one that I, you know, I, I was thinking about the other day. I was um, at this climbing center, and then I went with uh, with a friend to just um, help him carry the bags and, and stuff like this. And and yeah, we talked about something, and it, you know, the question comes from or is derived from a dialogue we had about uh, what what kind of strange things people have and own um, because we saw. People have strange things at the climbing center, things that does not belong in a workout location. So what is the weirdest thing you have seen in someone else's home? All right. This is, this is an unexpected one. I've, I've sort of forgotten how people's homes look like in the past two years because you don't really visit <laughs> just, anybody you else. You see the team's background. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, you can see. Well, <laughs> nice. this, is, this is probably your living room. But something that comes to mind, and, and I, I think this is a combination of a strange or weird thing, but also this, this, this esoteric habit that I was able to witness. This was perhaps 15, 18 years ago. And, and in the Nordics, I think we've discussed this before, uh, for Midsummer's Eve, everybody goes to a cabin or, or, or uh, by the lake and, and, and they enjoy the long weekend and, and the... And the nightless night and, and all of those fun things. So it's often a tradition that, that people might invite you over for the Midsummer's Eve weekend. Hey, come to our cabin and let's do good food and have good drinks and just enjoy life. So I was invited about 15 years ago to somebody I know, their friend that I, I, I just briefly met that, hey, come to our huge mansion in the countryside. And I think we were four four couples there maybe so about eight people and it was all all fun for for two days and you know just barbecuing and swimming and and doing the sauna and everything else but then when midsummer's eve the the actual eve started nearing they all went sons myself and my partner they all went indoors and said hey come along, tag along. And I was like, okay, okay. so are, are we eating inside because it's nice, nice and sunny outside? No, no, they open a closet and the closet was filled with, with, with old clothes, like, like clothes you see on a Western movie style. So, so you can immediately tell that these are really, really old and these are not something you would use on a modern day. 
and they start passing those around. Hey, here's something for you, and here's something for me. I'm, I'm like, so, so what are we supposed to do with this? Yeah, so it's customary here that whenever people visit, that that we all dress up in these funny clothes and and and, and get wasted. I'm like, sounds <laughs> sounds not uh, a lot of that I I don't normally do. So would it be okay to sort of politely decline? And and I could feel the whole whole room sort of stop, time stops, and they all look at me. What did you say? Well, well, this is not my idea of fun, especially unannounced, just assuming that this is what we all do. And they said, yeah, if you want to be a party killer, feel free, but you cannot join our, our fun anymore. And long story short, I packed the car and we left. But uh, <laughs> that, that was the weirdest thing that I've sort of seen and experienced at the same time in somebody's home. But I still have good memories of the weekend. It was fun up until the time they, they started handing, handing weird clouds to me. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that's great. That's also an unexpected answer to the unexpected question. <laughs> All about it. This, this, this was fun as always. Thank you again for joining us for this week. And um, we hope you join us next week. All right, see you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.